Take your Bibles, if you would, and turn to the book of Ephesians. We're studying through uh, this marvelous letter of St. Paul together. And while you do that, I want to reiterate the invitation to lunch today. For those of you that are relatively new to us, right next door, we look forward to getting to know you better. And I personally look forward to getting better acquainted with you. All right. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So far, the reading of God's Word. What not to wear... America is fascinated with Stacey London, who is this Manhattan... Well, actually, she lives in Brooklyn, her bio says. She is the fashionista. She is the fashion queen of America these days. And uh, she lives in Brooklyn with her uh, cat Al and her shoe collection, it says in her biography. And Stacey London is the host of the television show What Not to Wear, and uh, enormously popular because she plays right into the worldwide fascination, whether you're in London, where the London Times reports in the newspaper on what the royal family is wearing, or whether you're in Japan, where in Tokyo there is an obsession with fashion, or New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, Madrid, Barcelona, Beijing. We live in a world that is fashion crazy, and and Stacey London can teach you what not to wear. And you know how she does that on the TV show. She, uh, she brings in a plain person who may not have much fashion sense, and she gives them a new wardrobe and takes them to a salon and gets them a new hairstyle, a new eyebrows, a new accessories, a new shoes above all, and promises a brand new you. Well, there is a saying, you know, clothes make the man. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. Clothes cover up the man or the woman. Clothes make the image, perhaps. But clothes don't make the man. But our text in Ephesians presents something very interesting, something far better. 
our text talks about a divine wardrobe that you put on in place of an old wardrobe, the wardrobe of the old man. And instead of some sort of, what's the, what's the word for fancy clothing? Sartorial. Instead of some sartorial new birth, instead of new birth by clothing, Jesus Christ is given to us to be a new wardrobe, a new clothing in life a heavenly, eternal style that never goes out of fashion. And so Paul tells us what not to wear, if you were listening in the text, what not to wear. And then he tells you what to put on. Listen again to verse 22. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in righteousness and holiness. Okay, so what do we put off? If we're Christians gathered together and we're thinking from this text today, what do we put off? Well, he tells us here, we put off the old man, you put off the sinful nature. And that strikes us immediately with a very critical question. Do you believe that people are born with a sinful nature? How you answer that question says a lot. How you answer that question. Do you believe that people are born with a sinful nature or do you believe that people are essentially good? What do you think? How you answer that question has a huge impact on what you think about government, on what you think about religion, your view of society, politics, but it has a huge impact on your child-rearing as well, whether or not that little one was born with a sinful nature or not will determine whether or not you really give yourself to character building and you teach the child. Some people say, no, they don't have a sinful nature. We just, there's just all kinds of evil out in society that they need to fight against. Or you will teach that child <laughs> that the biggest struggle they're going to have for the rest of their life is dealing with the struggle within against the old sin nature. Hmm. What do you think? This view that man is basically good, that man was not affected by the fall of Adam, that man is not corrupted by original sin, which has been the traditional teaching of the church, but this view that man is basically good has snuck into the church... And it actually came in in around the year 365 with a British monk named Pelagius. If you've never heard of Pelagius, he was a a British monk who got the idea that he didn't like all this talk about sin and its effect. And he taught that you can just look within yourself and find good and then muster enough strength from within and believe that you're good enough to become a better you. But our passage today, and many passages in the Bible, teach quite the opposite. The study of history teaches quite the opposite. Go to the schoolyard playground and pay attention for a little while, and you will learn quite the opposite. Do you believe man is basically good? 
Or is, is man corrupted? Well, the answer is that man, all people, are created in the image of God. And so all people have dignity. All people have a beauty about them. All people have a sense of morality inside their soul. All people are social creatures desiring relationship and have some infectious desire toward love. And yet the Bible teaches that because we are a fallen race, that every aspect of our life has been cracked, has been broken, has been depraved. And there is corruption inside of every one of us. So I'm not here today to offend you. I didn't mean to offend you. I'm just trying to report from this very text as we're moving through this chapter. But the Bible says what not to wear. The Bible says, put off the old sin nature and its corruption because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and all we like sheep have gone astray. Each one has turned to his own way. And Paul, in verses 17 through 19, lays out this indictment of what is distasteful about fallen human sinful nature in you and you and you and in me. He speaks about hardened hearts. The word literally means a stone harder than marble. That is what your heart becomes like. It's the word used to describe the Pharisees when Jesus... Remember that wonderful day when Jesus healed that man? But it was the Sabbath day. And he heals this poor man on the Sabbath day. And the Pharisees are so infuriated with him, it says they wanted to kill him because of the hardness of their hearts. Well, Paul says that's in every heart. We think of Pharaoh. Remember old Pharaoh in Egypt back in Exodus chapter 4 when he hardened his heart against the Lord. And our parallel text in Romans 1.18 speaks of those who suppress the truth by their wickedness, like the little boy who took his puppy into his bedroom at night so he could sleep with the dog at night, but his parents didn't want him to. So he hears the footsteps coming and his mom and dad are approaching. So he takes the puppy and he puts him in the toy box and then he sits on top of the toy box as mom and dad come in. And mom and dad are talking to him and the dog is in the side, thumping away, thump, thump, thump. And he's in denial. There's no puppy in here. There's no puppy in here. And how we, because of the hardness of our hearts, suppress the truth about God and we get to that place, there's this little impulse in every human heart that says to God, I don't want to hear it. God says, worship me alone. I don't want to hear it. God says, get rid of sexual immorality. I don't want to hear it. God says, don't listen to gossip and don't participate in gossip. I don't want to hear it. God says, honor your father and your mother. I don't want to hear it. Tell the truth, God says, even when it hurts you. I don't want to hear it. Give away what you have. I don't want to hear You see, there's this impulse inside of us because of hardness of heart. Then he goes on and he says, from hardness comes darkness. And he says, they are darkened in their understanding. This isn't very flattering, is it? He's not saying that non-Christians don't think. What he's saying is there is an absence of spiritual understanding in the human heart. 
Similarly, back in Romans 1.21, their thinking became futile, their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. The theological term is the, the noetic effects of sin. The noes, is the mind, is actually damaged by the fall. And so you can look at the galaxies and see the stars, which are the very handiwork of God, and say, I don't believe in God. I don't see God anywhere. I once read a debate between Christopher Hitchens, the great atheist, and Rick Warren, the pastor out in California. Remember Christopher Hitchens, he says, I look at the galaxies, I don't see God anywhere. What did Rick Warren say? He said, I look at the galaxies and I see God everywhere. Foolish hearts are darkened. And then it leads to deadness. Verse 18, they are separated from the life of God. It's dead men walking. Dead men walking. Great name for a movie. Leading to calloused and insatiable sense, senses. Uh, rec- a kind of recklessness. Leads to recklessness. And some of us have experienced this. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. My goodness, what a description. A description of what is called the hedonist dilemma. You know what a hedonist is? The hedonist is someone who lives for pleasure. You live for pleasure, and life is just about maximizing my pleasure if you're a hedonist. But the hedonist dilemma is that pleasures fully indulged cease to please. See if you can follow with me on that. Pleasures fully indulged eventually cease to please. They are never enough. And so it's like the gateway drug. Have you ever heard the term a gateway drug? Drug? Oxycontin. Becomes a gateway to heroin. How many heroin addicts will say, I started down low on the drug chain. But it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough, it wasn't enough, and it wasn't enough. One click on the internet, one click to one visual that you shouldn't go to. Leads to another click, leads to another click, leads to another click. It's never enough. Jay Adams writing about this. He says, this amounts to a description of a life that is simply focused on self. It's the self-centered life. Verse 19, they've given themselves over for the practice of all kinds of impurity and greediness. And Verse 22, deceitful lusts that lead us on. And what's so interesting is that this warning is given to believers. Ooh, were you sitting here thinking, yeah, they're describing all those people out there. All those people who didn't care enough to get out of bed and come to church. But he's writing to believers here. He's instructing us as believers that we can, we can indulge in sin for a little while, but that hardens our hearts, and then it darkens our minds, and then calluses build on our soul, like the, like the workman, like Lou Farrow's hands, calloused from years of hard work, craftsmanship but your soul gets calloused from the gateway drugs of sin. 
This is why he says in the opening part of verse 17, I don't know if you caught this, he says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. Whoa, Paul, you're being pretty forceful here. He says, I insist that you pay attention. Listen up here, because I'm going to tell you something you don't want to hear. Listen up. I insist on it. And these aren't my ideas. I insist on it in the Lord. These are coming from the Lord. Will you please pay attention to the Lord if you don't want to listen to me? And if you don't believe in the corruption of human nature, then you just become like the secular humanist who thinks man is able to take care of himself and that religion is unnecessary and morality is just self-determined as we go along. What about you today? Because I've had all week to wrestle with this. What about you? What in your life is not to wear? What should you be putting off? What should you be disrobing in your soul? Anger. Some of us struggle with a kind of sinful anger. You know, in the next couple verses, he's going to apply this to anger problems. What about pride? Arrogance, pride, lust, sloth, dishonesty. Get ready the next couple of weeks. Maybe you won't want to come back now that you know that Paul actually starts to address these aspects of our wardrobe in the verses that follow. In my old church, just after I came out of seminary, uh, I, ha- I would preach often, and, and I had a suit that I really liked. And one Sunday morning, I'm leaving church, and a dear friend came up to me, and she said, John, I love you. I just want you to know, you need to burn that suit. <laughs> she said, that suit just doesn't do it anymore. That is, that is, that is a really awful suit. And I went home that day, and I did not donate it to the thrift store. I threw it in the trash. I needed to hear the word. Maybe you need to hear this today. You see, Paul says, I insist on this in the Lord. So maybe you need to hear. There's some things in your life you need to put off. Are you with me on this? Now, okay, put it off. It's really easy to do, right? It's, isn't it just really easy if you struggle with sinful anger or if you struggle with lust or if you're, if you're habitually a liar or if you uh, are selfish? It's really easy. You just put it off. Okay, like I burned that suit that day, right? Why not? In his fantastic little book, The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis gives us the picture of a young man who's struggling because he has a red lizard, an ugly lizard, living on his shoulder. And this lizard represents the indwelling sin that we all face, and the lizard constantly mocks the young man. He he wants to do good, but he keeps doing evil because the lizard keeps, and the lizard just mocks him every time he struggles in sin. And he hates this lizard. So an angel comes by, and the angel offers to remove the lizard. And he says, I'll get rid of it for you. And the young man is instantly thrilled, and he thinks, oh, this would be so wonderful to get this wretched lizard off of my shoulder. 
But then he looks and he notices that um, the angel glows with deadly heat and he's going to kill the lizard, not just take him away for a little bit. And so he starts to suggest to himself that, yes, he wants to get rid of the lizard, but this isn't really the time to get rid of the lizard. And the lizard starts talking to him. And the lizard says, listen, do you really think you can get along without me? I bring you pleasure. I protect you. I'm your coping mechanism to get through the struggles that you have in this life. I know I've overdone it some in the past. I promise I won't overdo it in you anymore. You can get along. You'll be almost innocent And that's what temptation is like. That's what sin is like in our souls. And so the young man despairs. Because he can't just put off. And yet you must, you must put off the old man. How do you do that? And on the other side then comes the putting on. You have to put off the old man and its wicked ways, but you have to put on the new man. How do you do that? Well, you have to put on Christ. Surely, he says in verses 20 and 21, surely you heard of him and were taught in him regarding in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. And we begin to get the answer here. The answer is somehow connected to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's why we sang the songs this morning. I want to know who you are. I want to know who you are. Open my eyes that I may see you. Open my ears that I may hear you. Surely you heard of him, Jesus Christ. And he brings himself to us. In all the different aspects of Christianity, the one thing that I think is so important about evangelical Christianity is this, that we insist on a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus is not some figure of history. Jesus is not some abstract theological doctrine. Jesus Christ is a living person, alive from the dead, and by His Holy Spirit comes to you and takes up His residence inside of you. So whatever this putting off and putting on is about, it is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that we share together. Do you have that? He's very practical in this passage. How do Christians change? Ephesians 4, 22-24 explain what I like to call the principle of replacement. You put off, you renew, and you put on. You put off, you are renewed, and you put on the new man. It's very important, this principle. I'm going to unpack this for just a moment. If you're taking notes, you might jot down a little bit of this. God knows your world. He knows the world in which you struggle. We call it heat in this class, and in the classes that I've taught about how people change. Heat. He knows your struggles. And God understands my heart. He understands how I operate. The old wardrobe, the old coping mechanisms, whether I, I do it by drinking or doing it by crossword puzzles or whatever escape I might have in watching television or sexual indulgences or whatever it might be. He knows my patterns, how I operate, the old patterns to put off. 
And God meets me, according to this passage, and He renews me in the midst of life's challenges. What is this? This is the application of the truth of Christ, the application of the cross, the application of the Holy Spirit to my life. And as a result, God produces a harvest of good things in my life and the lives of those around me. He gives me what? A good new wardrobe, new obedience to put on. I want to tell you, God knows you. You know, when you say to God, I don't want to hear it, God never says to you, I don't want to hear you. He wants to know you, and he wants you to know him. This is about a personal relationship with Christ. I can come back to this, but let me just show you. Here's the the picture that we like to use around here. You're like two trees. You're either a prickly thorn tree and the old man with bad fruit, and you need to put off the bad fruit of sin because there's a bad root. Oh, how you wish you had that new fruit, that good, healthy fruit from the taken care of by the rivers of living water that would nourish it. How do you get there? You put off the bad fruit. You are renewed in Christ. He creates a good, new, healthy root system in your heart, and you put on the good fruit of righteousness. In the midst of it all, put off, be renewed, put on. It's the only way to do it, the only way to change. You see, this is something that we do over and over again, this re-robing in Christ repeatedly. Because the old garments are like that red lizard on my shoulder. The old garments, they just fit so comfortably. It's the ruts. Did you watch the skiers in line, the skiers on the... They like to get in the ruts behind the person in front of them. You see, they, 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 they're the ruts, and you get in the ruts. And, and some of us are in ruts with sin habits and patterns, ways of thinking that are so unholy and so unhealthy. You put them off. You get renewed in Christ, and you put on something in its place. He says, be made new in the attitude of your mind, where you listen differently, you live differently. Romans 12, verse 2, it says, Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Here he talks about the application of truth to your mind. That's where the renewal takes place. And you begin to enjoy your new self. You received the old man at birth, but you received the new man in your second birth in Christ It's his creation. It's his gift. You don't make it happen. You cannot weave the new wardrobe. I was reading a commentary by Kent Hughes. I liked what he said. He says, our task is not to weave the new wardrobe. Our task is to wear the new wardrobe. You have to put on, then, by the Holy Spirit, by the work of Christ in you, you put on the new man. So where do you struggle? Are you an angry person? Is there a kind of sinful anger that is your reaction? What do you do? You have to acknowledge that this is sinful. This kind of sinful anger just crushes the joy and the life out of the people around you. And then you go to the cross. And you go to Christ. And you say, as you turn the anger of God away from me, now, Lord, I need you to turn the anger of 
anger of me away from the people I would hurt with that, oh Lord, forgive me, oh Lord, renew me. And in the place of sinful anger, bring your peace. Bring the fruit of the spirit of kindness and forbearance so that I am no longer such an angry man or an angry woman. So the drunk or the drug addict who feels so enslaved, what do they do? They come to God and they say, I am a slave. Forgive me. Help me. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. And in the place of coping with alcohol, I am now going to cope with the fruit of the Spirit and with a new kind of healthy energy and engaging in life without that that just pushes the pause button and worse on my life. What about the stingy person? Some of us are so stingy. And I'm the first in line. And what happens? What does God have to do to change you from being such a stingy person? He's got to convict you that this is a sin and that in its place, as God has been generous with you, as Jen showed us that our God will supply all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ, that you begin to sit loose on your possessions and because Christ has blessed you with such riches, now you actually, it's not so hard for you to let go of what you have and to bless others with what you have. What about the sexually promiscuous? What about the person who's just given themselves over outside of marriage to sexual pleasures? What do they do? What do you do? But you confess to the Lord that you are outside of his will, that you're enslaved by your own passions with a continual lust for more, and that that is an accurate description of you. And you go and you say, Create in me a clean heart, O God, that I may honor and respect people of the opposite sex as made in the image of God. And I might find an impulse of toward fidelity in my own marriage so that I may honor you, O oh God, with the person you have given me. What about some of us who are liars, those of us who are exaggerate? We just exaggerate everything. We tell half-truths in order to protect ourselves. And we bear false witness all the time. What about that? What do we do? What do you do? You acknowledge it before God. You say, this is bad fruit in my life. And you are the God of truth. And Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And I need this truth-telling God to form himself in me so that I will speak the truth in love no matter what the consequences might be for me. And you put on the new man. Where does this apply to your life today? For some of us, for some of us, the first step is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You see, because he says, surely you came to hear him in this way. And so maybe for you, this is new. And, and I'm sorry if it's been hard for you to hear this, but the, the, the good news answer right now is hear Jesus. He's alive from the dead. He is, he is placing his claim on your life today as your Lord and your Savior. And he begins this process of renewing you. That's the first place to begin. If you've never had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you say Christianity is not just about religion, singing songs, standing, sitting, that's right. 
It's about a personal relationship with a wonderful living Savior. And today is the first day of that for you. I believe that. And if you would say that today, that would be great. We would say, let us know and let us help you walk with him all the days of your life. And the rest of us, the rest of us, you know what we need to do? We need to invite him to do business, to do some business with us. Maybe I can be so bold as to say there's an area in your life where you've been saying to God, I don't want to hear it. I've suffered too much. My circumstances are too rotten. Your demands are too heavy. I don't want to hear it from you, God. Is that that in your heart? Tell him and humble yourself before him and say, okay, God, I want to hear it. I want to hear what you have to say about some fruit, some bad fruit in your life. Don't go to Stacy London for a new wardrobe, okay? Let Jesus be what you wear. He said to Lazarus, after he raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, take off the grave clothes, Lazarus. And that's what he's saying to you now. And put on Christ, and let's walk together. Let's bow our heads. Close your eyes, join our musicians, if the musicians would join me up here. Our Father in heaven, you have given us a passage of scripture that we have just come to this morning that is very bold and powerful in calling us to live a new life. And we pray that we would come to know Jesus better. Oh, Jesus, that we would know you and you would clean our hearts and you would clean our hands and you would wake us up. Yes, to have a revulsion toward those things that are dishonoring to you and that those lizards, that red lizard of temptation and sin on our shoulder. And when the lizard says, oh, you couldn't live without me, we would say, go ahead and kill it, Lord. Go ahead, Lord. Because you have something better for us to put on. In place of anger, sinful anger, we could have peace and kindness. In place of lust, we could have modesty and honoring of others. In place of lying and cheating in school, we could have honesty and honor. Our Father, we welcome you to do your business with us now. And maybe this week, maybe this week, you will be hearing this passage again and again. And you will run to the cross to be renewed. And you watch and see how the Lord is going to be changing you in new and wonderful ways. Your wife is going to say, what has happened to you? Your husband is going to say, what has happened to you? Your parents are going to say, what happened to you? And you're going to give the glory to God. In Jesus' name, amen.